Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16 as we continue to make our way through the book of Deuteronomy. Today's title is called Justice Through Worship. You know, we have a problem in America today, if you haven't noticed. The entire world has the same problem. And that problem is justice and an injustice. People are in, are in the streets demanding justice. There are innocent people in prison pleading for justice. Those who have been wronged and survivors of violence yearning for justice. There are Christians around the world crying for justice. The poor, the maligned, and the forgotten who despair of ever seeing justice. We cannot even agree on what justice is, what it means. Everyone defines justice in a different way or believe that the road to justice is blocked by artificial uh, barriers that can only be obtained by the wealthy and the very connected. We protest, we riot, and plead for justice, but it always seems just out of reach. And the reason for this problem is that we have forgotten that justice can only be found through worship of Yahweh, through God. Once again, is we have forgotten that justice can only be found through worshiping the Almighty God. Last week, Moses taught the Israelites that worshiping Yahweh through obeying the law would serve as a witness to the rest of the inhabitants of the land that they were ready to come and conquer, as well as the other nations to the greatness and uniqueness of his character and being. Now this week, Moses will remind them that true worship also includes doing justice, leading uh, righteous lives, and, and, and leading lives in which justice is accomplished. But justice is only demonstrated in loving Yahweh and by loving their neighbors. And only through true worship can we obtain any substance of a fair and balanced society, or justice in society. With that Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20, they'll be here on your monitor begin, I encourage you to, to follow along in your scripture, in your Bible, <clears throat> where Moses writes, commanded by God, you shall appoint judges and officials in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you according to your tribes, and you shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For the bride blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow. If you're trying to follow me, I lost my mic here. <laughs> the kids must have got to it. Does that make a little bit, 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 bit of a difference? Going back, you shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, he says, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Father, we want to live in a land that is reigned by justice. And as we look out, we moan the lack of justice. We see injustice all around us. And Father, we cannot even agree 
on what justice is or what it looks like. So I pray that you just be with us this morning as we open up the book of Deuteronomy, as we learn from the law what justice is and how we can obtain justice today, that you'd encourage us, that you'd give us hope, that you give us a word that would, that would cause us to respond positively to your word and that we may share this with others, that we may live among each other, not only in justice, but in righteousness, caring and loving each other. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. One of the ways that we worship is through living out justice, living justly with each other. The Hebrew children are giving two main instructions concerning how to live a life of justice. The first one is they are appoint judges and officers who will be responsible to judge fairly. Appoint to you in every city people who would you come and they could judge between you. And then also the second thing is they are not to pervert justice by showing partiality to anyone, any man or woman, doesn't matter uh, maybe the color of their skin, the, 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 the size of their, of their wealth, but they are to show no partiality nor accept a bribe. Now to accomplish these tasks, God is going to give them three offices, the prophet, the priest, and the kings. And these leaders were responsible to maintain pure worship within their land and to administer justice impartially. Now I want to take each of those offices and look at them very quickly. The priests were those of the tribe of Levi who served as mediators between Yahweh and the people. They were responsible for all aspects of the law, the tabernacle and the temple worship, the sacrifices and disputes. If any issue was too difficult for the local leaders or the elders to discern, they were to bring the involved parties to the priest who would then follow the Mosaic law to determine justice. Look at chapter, uh, verse, uh, verse 8 of chapter 17. So chapter 17, verse 8. Moses instructs the people, if any case arises requiring decisions between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right or another, or one kind of assault or another, or any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. And you shall come to the Levitical priests and to the judges who is in the office in those days. And you shall consult them and they shall declare to you the decision. So in those days, there would be a city or a village and there would be elders in that city. Typically, the older men, men that had, been, had identified as being wise. And if there was an issue that two people or a family could not solve, they would go to the elders in the town. They would go before the gates and they would tell them the issue. And what Jesus or God is saying here is if that issue is too difficult for them, then you're to go to the Levitical priest, which at that time was going to be in Shiloh by the time they reached the promised land. Later it would be Jerusalem. And then let the Levitical priest hear the matter and they will apply the law to that. In verse 10, he says, Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from the place that the Lord will choose, and you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you. So their word was to be final. You were to listen to their judgment according to verse 11, to the instructions that they give you and according to the decision which they pronounce, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. So God was giving them a grace. Here is some men that are going to be able to hear what you have to say and they will give you a fair judgment. Now then also, not only were there priests, 
But God also in His grace, not at this point, but later in the Old Testament, He's going to give them kings. Now the kings were those men that God Himself says that He would choose to reign over all of the twelve tribes. God Himself would choose among them a man, a man He had declared pure of heart, one who was righteous, who would serve and lead the people. The king was required to be upright and godly and must even write their own copy of the law in order that they might know and love God's law. To safeguard his heart, the king was instructed not to follow the example and the, and, and the way of life that the kings of other nations had in acquiring horses and wives and extreme wealth. Look at verse 18 of chapter 17. Again, chapter 17, look at verse 18. He says, and when he sits on the throne, speaking of the king, he shall write for himself a book of a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. In other words, he was to know the law of God. And, he, and it shall be with him, and he shall read, it in, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart might not be lifted up above his brothers, and he may not turn aside from the commandments, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children. Now we can think of some of the examples of the Israelites. David was seen to be a pure and righteous king, except when he fell with Bathsheba and some other issues of sin. We think of Solomon. This is an example where Solomon, remember, when, uh, when two women come bringing one baby, one says, this is my child, the other says no. And we remember that uh, we have that phrase, Solomonic decision, in which he said, well, then cut the baby in half. And the mother said, the real mother, the true mother said, no, let her, let her keep it. It's better that the child live. And in that, he would know then who the true mother was, as the other said, yeah, if I can't have him, then she shouldn't either. But as we know, the kings fail. The king, King Solomon himself, acquired wealth and wives and horses and all those things he was not to do. And eventually they too failed. But the last office was that of a prophet. This time Moses was that prophet of Yahweh of God. The prophet was responsible to speak on behalf of God and to pray for his people in chapter 15, or verse 15 of chapter 18. We read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you. From your brothers, it is him you shall listen. And look at verse 18 of chapter 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require of him. So we think of Samuel after Moses. We think of, of Elijah and Elisha, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Isaiah, all these prophets, many who were killed by the kings of Israel and by the priests. These men were responsible to come and speak God's word. It's said many times you can tell the difference between a pastor and an evangelist in a church. A pastor comes and he wants to comfort the afflicted, whereas an evangelist wants to afflict the comforted. Well, that's what a, a prophet would do. He would come and he would bring words of comfort to those who are afflicted, those who are suffering, those who wanted to repent and come to God. But then he would also come and he would afflict those that comfort. You think of Elijah coming to King Ahab and Jezebel. Or Nathan going to David and saying, you're the man, you're the guilty party. God says, I'm going to bring you a man who will speak on my behalf to share you and tell you what you're doing wrong 
and what you do to need, what you need to do to make it right and what to stay right. So that was the job of a prophet. So he gives us the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And even today, God gives us the very same things. He gives us elders or pastors in the church. And he even says in the church that one day we will judge angels, so you should bring your problems before the church. He says that's actually one of the things that God had against the Corinthian church, is that they were making lawsuits about each other outside of the church. Did you know that God has actually called us to bring our issues with other brothers and sisters to one another in the church and decide? If we cannot, then yes, then we must need to go to the governmental institutions and other ones that God has ordained for that. Yahweh promises, though, that they will know a true and false prophet. For they say, well, how do we know what is a true or a false prophet? Well, he says you test his words. If his words do not come true, then that is a false prophet. Does anyone know what the, the penalty for being a false prophet was? Death. It was be stoned to death. Now, could you imagine how that might change a lot of these prophets today? that are in churches that are making prophecies that aren't coming true. Not one of them saw COVID-19 coming. They continue to say that they're putting it out, that if we had a death penalty of stoning, we might quell some of that. But these offices were to ensure that justice was to be guarded and not be used and misappropriated in the land. The Hebrew children were commanded to listen and obey to their words and obey their words and instructions. They were also were to provide for the livelihood of the priests and the prophets and the kings by feeding them through sacrifices and taxes and public sport. Why? Because justice is important, is it not? We, we, are, we are a country that needs justice. We are people that need justice. These offices also served to keep the Israelites in line in order that they would not succumb to the temptation to follow the other nations into serving false gods and adopting their abominable practices. Moses warns them in chapter 18 of verse 12. He says, For whoever does these things, and he gives a list of things that they're doing, everything from killing their children through fire to Molech, to sorcery and idolatry and all sorts of fortune telling. He says, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, verse 14, for these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. See, they went to justice, they went to demonic influences. But God says, you must come to me. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The result of these offices is that justice would be done. And as justice is being done, that would lead to true worship among the people. But I'm here to share with you also in the same way, is that if you and I are truly worshiping God according to Scripture, justice will follow. Justice will be done. Just as I said last week, why does mission exist? It's because worship of God does not. And so we must send missionaries. We must go as missionaries. We must uh, support missionaries. Why? So we may share with them who God is. For God is seeking worshipers. In the same way, why is justice seem so elusive? It's because worship of God is elusive. It is not there. 
Why has justice been perverted? It's because they have perverted the worship of the one true God. Why is justice neglected? Because worship of God has been neglected. Daniel Webster, one of the most prominent American statesmen of our founding fathers, once remarked, it's here on the screen, I want you to see this. He says, justice is the great interest of the people on earth. It is the ligament which holds civilized beings and civilized nations together. Justice is of great interest. It is the, it is the thing that, that holds civilizations together. For without justice, you have anarchy. You, you have chaos. And so the justice is what you and I need to live in peace. Again, as I said in the beginning, we all want justice. We demand it. We despair of it sometimes, of it fading away. But what is justice? Though we all may be clamoring for justice, we are not united in how we define or how we expect justice. We don't, under, we don't accept all of the outcomes as being just. And this lack of unity has not only divided our country, but also the states, our culture, families, and even churches today. First, speaking about justice, we need to come unified about what justice is. So first, you and I must understand that justice derives from the character of God. Justice derives from the character of God. One writer notes that justice, justice is alignment, is a standard of goodness. In other words, he is our standard of what is good. For you and I to say we want justice, we need to understand what's the difference between right and wrong. Justice is the determination of that. So justice comes from God. He is that standard of goodness. The problem with the world is that they have rejected God. To many, they deemed him irrelevant. He's not even part of the equation. He's a myth. Or they rejected his claim of authority on our world and on our life. However, justice is an attribute of God. That in his grace, he is extended to his creation. Justice is meant to draw us to him and to see his beauty and his wisdom and his goodness. Unfortunately, most would consider God's justice as overbearing or hateful or illegitimate. Secondly, God in His grace has given us His standard and definition of justice through the giving of the law, through the giving of His word. As we have said many times in this pulpit, the law reveals the character of God. Remember, we've, we've said that before. In the same way, think of you as parents. And some of you may have younger, your children are younger, but as they grow older, you're going to have things in which you're going to say, these are the things you can do and these are the things you cannot do, Right? You know, when your kid gets 15, 14, you know, whatever. The, well, actually, that's 14, 15. Let's put it in, in, in numerical order here. Is you're going to say, well, I want to stay up until midnight. What are you as a parent going to say? No, your bedtime is whatever you may say, 7, 30, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. And what are they going to say when you give them that command? Why? It's not fair. Why? It's not fair. They want to know, what's the principle? Why are you telling me no? And let me tell you this, your answer, because I say so, it's not very satisfying, is it? They don't accept it. Have you accepted that? 
How many of you have said, well, don't raise your hand, have said, you know what, I've probably made a few mistakes by not accepting that answer. But here's the thing, I tell the parents, this is very important. When God gives us his laws, the shalls, the shall nots, the do's, the do nots, he reveals the principle about why we should not do that or why we should. And that principle points to the character of God. Do not steal. Why? Because you're to love your brother and sister and not take what belongs to them. What does that reveal about God? God says, don't steal. Trust in me because I will provide all that you need. So you don't need to steal. So here's the thing, just this is extra, by the way. So parents, as you're getting this, when you say, don't do this or do this, you need to come up with the why. And that why is going to reflect your character. And I, because, I say, because I say so, just says, well, you're an authoritarian who just wants to control their life. And that may be very well true, but I don't think that's the character you want to get. So, in the very, so I say all that to come back, is that justice reveals the character of God, reveals who he is and what he's about and how he reflects his glory. The law reveals the character of God. The Israelites were to live out the law that God has given them as a sign of worship. To disobey the law was to incur the justice of God. You have failed, so justice must be done. What would you and I say if someone was to steal from us? They're caught. We go before the judge and the judge says, well, he needed it. And he let it go. We would say, that's not justice. That's not fair. How, how could that be? What would that reflect on the judge? Pretty poorly, wouldn't it? It was to point out that God expected his creation to obey and worship only him. Thirdly, about true justice. So not only is justice derived from the character of God, not only is the source of that uh, his, his word, but true justice, and this is the key, how can you and I have true justice? Is by living out the Ten Commandments, by living out his word. It's by loving God and loving others, our neighbors. Justice is accomplished when you and I obey the two great commandments. When we love God with all our whole heart, and with all our soul, and with our might, it motivates us then to love our neighbor as ourself. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, as we looked at last week, the first three or four look at glorifying God, loving God. The last six is about loving our neighbors. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not take from them. Do not, oh, children, obey your parents. It's about loving each other. That's how justice is accomplished in this world. This is demonstrated when we obey our parents, we're faithful to our spouses, when we do not steal, when we do not murder, and when we do not covet. And of course, Jesus makes that even further and says, it's not just your actions that say whether you love your neighbor, but what your attitude is, what your heart is thinking. To be angry with your brother is to murder him. To look at a woman with lust is to already commit adultery. Scott David Allen, and I want you to write this book down, Scott David Allen. In his book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice, I recommend it to you. He writes that the true definition of justice finds its source in the Bible and has expressed itself historically in many ways that have blessed the nations. Looking back at, I don't think we're there yet, there, at Sean, but looking back at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 20, Yahweh promises them, that justice and only justice you shall follow. In chapter 16, verse 20. Justice and only justice you shall follow. 
that you may live and inherit the land the Lord your God is giving you. Hence we see that that is the way God blesses the land is when we live justly with one another. When we live justly with God. Why is our, our country in, in turmoil? Because we're not living and loving our neighbors, loving God. The problem with the world today is that we have lost all sense of what true justice is. Mr. Allen in his book gives us two types of justice that should guide us in living justly. And you can keep these up once they're up there, uh, Sean, if you would, please. And the first is what's called communitive justice. He defines this as living in right relationship with God and others. It's giving people their due as image bearers of God. In other words, it's recognizing that they too, whether they're of a different political persuasion, maybe a different skin, ethnic, maybe a different economic, they're still made in the image of God. How often are we looking at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, the news, and we see people who have different opinions than us, and we see them rioting in the streets, and we're protesting. How often do we get angry with them? I mean, I mean, to a rage as they do. Well, it's because we're, we're not giving people their due. Even in that, even when we say they are wrong, do you see people as image bearers of God? Why, why are they good with ch killing children? Because they don't see them as image bearers of God. Why do, you just, why do we have a presidential candidate that thinks it's okay to chemically, crass, chemically castrate young seven and eight-year-olds? Because he doesn't see them as image bearers of God. And we must see each other as made in the image of God. This is what we see in the Ten Commandments when we discussed earlier in loving our neighbors. The Ten Commandments are the basis for the majority of this nation's laws and it dictates how we are to live as a community. Now, I'm not going to debate whether we're a Christian nation, not at this moment, but our laws are based typically on those things. Love your neighbor. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not murder. Now, the second type of justice, then, is what's called distributive justice. You see this on the monitor. Now, that is impartially rendering judgment, righting wrongs, meeting out punishment for the law-breaking. So this is what we do when someone now is, is, is not living justly. Now we must distribute justice. We must enact it on the benefit of the community. He says this is reserved for God and God-ordained authorities, including parents in the home, elders in the church, teachers in the school, and civil authorities in the state. This is the justice that typically we think of. But here's the problem, is we don't think of the culminative uh, justice first. We always just think of outcomes. This is the result of breaking that community of justice. When we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, when we ignore the commands of God, when we fail to worship him and him alone. Scott Allen sums up the problem with justice today. Again, you'll see this quote on here because it's so big and so important. I wanted you to see it. He sums up the problem with justice today as a result of over the last 200 years. The West has severed the ideas of justice from God and his laws, leading to the moral chaos that we see today. Instead of relying on a sure and unchanging standard for justice, we are constantly changing standards. There is no absolute truth any longer, but relative truth. 
not what's true for all people, for all places, for all times, but a truth that is, rel- that is only relevant to me today at this moment. He goes on to say what was considered moral five years ago is not only called immoral today, but increasingly ruled illegal. What was considered immoral five years ago and often was illegal is now held to be immoral and legal. All of this has opened the door to horrific injustice in the name of justice. It's a sad state of affairs. You see, you can't take justice outside of worshiping God. For when you do, it becomes a perverted form of what justice is. We are truly living in a Romans chapter world, one world. We are seeing the results of forsaking God and His Word. From abortion, and by the way, you go back to Deuteronomy 18.10. What were they doing? He says, do not offer your children to the fire, to the God Molech. Molech worship is, is alive today and large. The abortion mill. Let's, let's, let's kill our children for the sake of our convenience. Emily and I were just talking yesterday, I think it was yesterday, about Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. And I only mention it because she made it publicly known just this week. She says, there would be no Fleetwood Mac if I, wouldn't have got a, a, my, if I would not have aborted my child back in, I think, 1977, 1978. I needed to abort that child because there was no other uh, band that had two female singers, two strong women, two female writers. And so it was important for me to abort my child. Not even thinking that her child would be 41 years old today, maybe with children of her own. Or another actress who at the Academy Awards, not this year, but the year before, or the year previous maybe, made the big deal is she's where she's at because she aborted her child, and I look at all these beautiful children and babies here, and I'm thankful that you made a different choice. But we live in a nation where that wants to make that legal up to the point of birth. I read a, 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 I watched a video just yesterday of a man who says, I think we should be able to abort our children or kill our children up to the age of two. Netherlands just passed a law where children 12 and under can now be euthanized if they desire to do so, if they meet certain criteria. And they call this good, legal. This is justice because the outcome is right. We live in a Romans one world. Or we can say that we can chemically castrate a young child for the sake of the transgender agenda. to the acceptance of every vile personal desire that people can come with, we say this is good, this is right, this is justice. In reality, we have abandoned true justice. Instead of worshiping God through justice, we have moved to worshiping ourselves with a new redefinition of justice that many are calling social justice. You've heard this word before. Social justice, you'll see here as Scott Allen defines here on the monitor. It's the tearing down of traditional structures and systems that deem to be oppressive. Now, let me again, what are those standards and systems? Those of God. 
and the redistribution of power and resources from oppressors to victims in pursuit of equality of outcomes. So in other words, we're not looking at fairness or impartiality, but what we want to say is we want to dictate that everyone's outcome is always exactly what they want. And at first glance, this seems attractive and beneficial. We all would agree that it seems that the world is filled with the haves and the have-nots. There are those that are wealthy and connected, and they seem to be immune to the injustices of the world. They always seem to get what they want. They seem to get out of the things that would get us in trouble. The poor and the malign bear the brunt of the world's burdens. However, what has happened in this redefinition is that the source of justice is no longer God or His Word, but has now been transferred to that most word that shuts up everybody, science. It's science. Go educate yourself. Or it's moved to the autonomous, sovereign self when science fails to articulate what they believe justice should be. You see, it's no longer about loving your neighbor as yourself, but loving yourself in spite of your neighbor and at his or her expense. This redefinition of justice has plunged the world into madness that leaves many believers angry, frustrated, confused, and even despairing of our future. For the church and the people of God, this redefinition and abandonment of true justice had left us dealing with what Scripture calls abomination. We are now living in those days as Israel did, where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, and we have legalized it. And not only have we have legalized it and say it's good, but we're also going to take that and we're going to teach it to your children, and you have no excuse to get them out of it. Not only that, but we are going to take your money and we're going to use your tax money to propagate and to build these things up. But not only that, is unfortunately many believers have been seduced into accepting the world's definition of justice and it led many churches and church leaders to align their teachings and practices with these false prophets kings and and prophets, kings, false priests, kings and prophets. I can't tell you how many times during the week as I'm just in the world of churches and pastors that I'm connected with who are moving away from a justice that's based on the word of God to a, a justice that's based on what they think is right at the moment. And it's frustrating Because in the end, if you're teaching or preaching a different set of justice rather than the one that's sourced in God himself, you are teaching a false gospel. A false gospel that has no redemption, no forgiveness, which always demands your repentance but never gives you any hope. And that is the world that we're going to today. How should we as Christians respond to this new form of justice? How should we live in the midst of a world and culture that is hostile to our faith? 
just this week. And now I understand COVID-19 and I understand that in some parts of the country that it is rampant and it is, it is scary. And, and, and some have lost loved ones due to it. But again, when you see the numbers, you bring it down and you say, wait a second, what in the world is going on? It, it, it doesn't seem to match up. Yesterday, there was women marching all over uh, Washington, D.C., clamoring for justice, reproductive justice, which really meant killing my child. And we think, wait a second, they're not wearing masks. They're all, they're all together. In New York, they can do the protests. But yet, just this week, the New York Police Department was driving up to synagogues and Jewish places of worship and buildings, taking their phones and looking in through windows and doors to see if any of them were gathering to pray because they're trying to shut down the Orthodox Jewish from praying and meeting together. You wonder, where is that? How many churches do we know that are not able to meet as we're meeting today because we're small enough to meet the requirements? But even in California, any church will never, at the best circumstances, will never be able to meet more than 50% of their capacity. So what does a larger Roman Catholic church or our Lutheran brothers and sisters and other churches that have more people than we do, how do they ever meet as a body? Think of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, and again, I don't want to make a political thing, but now her religion is at the forefront, her adopting children, her having many children. She's finally that woman that has had it all, but yet because of her conservativeness and her, and her being a Catholic, they want to shut her down. What's the phrase? The dogma lives loudly within you. So you no longer are qualified. And they call this justice. Now the answer might seem beyond us at this moment of how you and I should live in this world. Maybe even just hopeless. But I believe the answer still rests in worshiping God by living our lives in alignment with His Word. For as the world is going crazy and is hell-bent on rebelling against God, you and I in our church and in our lives must stay true. If they're living out and redefining terms and phrases, you and I must stand on the phrases of the Word of God and the truths that are secure for all times, all places, and all people. We must not lose hope or despair but live our lives in alignment with his word. Just as the prophets and the priests and the kings have failed to leave Israelites in righteousness and justice, so will our contemporary analogies. Even we ourselves are guilty of not living justly. We have been guilty of being, impart or being, uh, 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 being partially or judging partially, of not loving and caring for our neighbors. You see, though, our hope is not in human leaders and institutions, but in Christ. It does not matter what happens November 3rd. Jesus is still king. God is still sovereign. Now, there's one thing about this darkness that you and I live in, is that when we as a church, OVBC, and when we as Christians live in the light, 
our light will shine brighter in that darkness and be drawn. You see, all of our hope must be found in Christ. Christ is the pure priest who leads us in worship through his perfect substitutionary sacrifice. Christ is that promised prophet found in Deuteronomy who will teach us the true words of God. A prophet who is not false, but who will always speak the truth. Christ is the true king who will rule in righteousness and justice. Now see, all of this is because Jesus is the one who is worthy, the only one who is worthy. When you and I despair of justice, we are prompted to look at the cross of Christ. Would you do so? Don't look at the polls. Don't look for your Twitter friends or the, the, the Instagram influencer and what they're doing. Look to the cross. For it's at the cross we find Christ. We find true justice. Again, Scott Allen writes this about the cross of Christ. In a world teeming with injustices, large and small, the cross of Christ encourages us to overcome evil with good while we await God perfect justice at the final judgment, when all the scales will be put in perfect balance. Pure justice evades us today. But we can look to the day in which Christ will come and make all things. We ourselves can live justly within our families, within our church, within our neighborhood, and those with our lives as we love God and love others. That is why scripture calls us to seek and to set our minds, not on the things here of earth, but on the things in heaven where Christ is seated. We are called to encourage one another that that one day Christ will come to gather his bride to his side. He wins the girl. Until that day, you and I are called to obey his words, for they are the words of righteousness and justice. I want to leave you with three action steps. How you and I can live in a world that's hostile to our faith. In a world in which justice is of no avail. In which they've lost the source of justice. It does not reflect the character and the goodness of God. What are you and I can do? Number one, remember that one day God will judge and bring all things to balance, as we said earlier. He is coming again. And justice will be done. Those who have, who have escaped the hand of earthly justice will one day stand before God. Those who have been judged unjustly and are innocent, God will restore. In Revelation chapter 20, you'll see this here, I believe, on the monitor, 11 through 12. We see the day of Christ's John, looking into heaven, said, I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. There is no partiality with God. There is no respecter. The great and the small will stand before him. And the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. There is no escaping true justice. That includes those that have gotten away with murder, 
to those that have gotten away with extortion and bezzling, to those that have gotten away with hating their brother or sister. All things will be held in account. Number two, you and I are to wait patiently for that day by loving and serving each other. That's what God has called us to do. What does God require of us? To live righteously and just, caring, taking care of widows and orphans. It's simple. Just loving others, serving others as we serve God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, should be here on the screen. Paul warns us, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. You need to not be offended when injustice happens to you, when justice is, is evading you. Leave it to God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I are required to live as God has called us to in the midst of a world that has rejected him. We do not get a pass. We do not get a buy. He has still called us to be faithful. For he is faithful. And number three, live our lives committed to the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me go through that. In other words, when we talk about what is justice, it, it, it's displayed and demonstrated in the Word of God. And what he's saying is the Word of God is breathed out by him. It reflects his character. It shows his goodness, his love, his justice, yes, his wrath, yes, but also his mercy and his love. But listen what it says. It is profitable. And that should get our attention because we want things to be profitable. But he says it's profitable for teaching. What does that mean? It tells us what, it is, what is right and wrong. Again, what is right and wrong? How can you and I... God hasn't left it up. Many times we think, well, there's black and white and then most of the things are in between. Well, God has given us his principles to tell us what is right and what is wrong. But he also says the, the, the word of God is good for, for, correct, for reproof. And that tells us when we've gone wrong. It tells us, wait a second... You've gone off the wrong track. You are, living, you are living wrongly. That's the Holy Spirit's conviction. And then it says for correction, it tells us how to get back on the right path. You need to re repent, confess your sin to one another. And he says then continue on this path. And it teaches us how to walk the right path, but then also training righteousness. It tells us how to stay right, how to keep walking in the way that God has called us. Your lamp or your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So scripture tells us the difference between what is right and wrong. It tells us when we're wrong. It tells us how to get right. And it tells us how to stay right. You and I must be committed to that. Because it's only through loving God and loving others can we live justly. And God has called us to live justly even in a world that is wrecked by injustice. Let me ask you, would you commit today to true justice? A justice that can only be obtained through the worship of God. With every head bowed, 
Whenever I close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and Randy as well as he comes and closes with our pastor's prayer. I just want to encourage you. We can live justly in this world as we love God and love others. We should pray for the peace of our nation. We should pray for our leaders, for those that God has given us, even when they do not rule justly. And when we have a world that has rejected God in this world, we still have the opportunity to live as agents and ambassadors of Him, shining the light of what true justice is as we commit to His Word. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.